Hey, welcome. Thank you for being here today. We're, we're so glad that you're here. Guys, as you know, if, you, if you're here for the first time, you don't notice a difference. If you've been coming here for a few weeks, you notice that there's a difference in the layout. Um, just this past Sunday, we had our largest attendance ever here in this campus, guys. So we're... We, we are growing. We have growing pains in the house, but it's a good thing to have. Uh, so last week, last week we began uh, this Christmas series in styles. Pastor Styles took us through a journey of, of the definition and the purpose, biblically answering this question, whose child, uh, what child is this? And, and uh, we, we, know, we know that overall, the Christmas story is very prophetic, okay? Is very prophetic. There are many parts that connect one event to the other. And today I'm going to continue this, um, the Promise One uh, Christmas series. And we're going to kind of launch this thing up and talk about the story a little bit. So who's ready? You guys ready? Let's do it. I'm excited. Um, I didn't preach last week. So listen, I got, you know, I'm doubling up today. No, get ready. You know, uh, how much time I got? No. Uh, you know, uh, prophecy in scripture carries a double meaning. In the one hand, we see prophecy as being this, um, this, this thing of, of some foretold of something of some sort. But in, in the simplest form, prophecy is just something that is said or declared by a prophet. It's, it's just as simple and no different than a preacher speaking on Sunday mornings as they are preaching and not just speaking. Amen? On the other hand, prophecy declares faith. Faith of what? to declare the things that already are and have already been existed. It doesn't have to be this future global event that always takes place when prophecy is involved. It can be as simple as a family declaration, all right? In fact, one of the main aspects when looking at prophecy and how true it is and how the validity of that prophecy is whether the prophecy is able to replicate to what the scriptures say. The Bible says that we are not called to add anything from it or remove anything from it. Amen? So one good way to know if a, if a prophecy that has been spoken or has been shared is true is by passing it through the filter of Scripture. The Bible says in Proverbs 35 to 6, it says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to this word to his word, or he, may, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. It is one of those things. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've been around the, the, the church scene for a while, like I have been. It, you know, we, we see people that, that have had their experiences when it comes to this prophecy thing. I could think of an example um, for me. I remember uh, Rosie and I were part of our youth group. We were leaders of our youth ministry back in the day. Um, she was... She was the, we weren't even engaged or married at the time. We were just serving together. Um, I ain't, I'm not going to lie to you. I liked her. You know, who am I kidding here? Um, but that was between me and God, you know. So, um, but we, <laughs> I wasn't serving because of that reason, okay. I was really serving God, all right. So, <laughs> so um, we, we were in, in this ministry together. And uh, I remember like today, she was the president of the group and I was the vice president. I mean, something wrong there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
And then, and then we, had, we had two more uh, members of the committee, and it was really organized, really structured stuff. We were running a pretty gigantic youth program, and, and we, we had a, a youth revival, okay? It's just the way it went back in the day, okay? We had this youth revival where we invited a guest speaker. We're inviting different churches from the area. The house is packed. And, of course, the committee of the youth is sitting in the front row. We were at the time engaged, I believe. We were. We were at that time of that event, we were engaged. But when we started serving in that position, we weren't. You know, it just happens from the position. You're not, anyways, you know, God could do amazing things, God. You'd be surprised. Um, but we're sitting there, you know, and, and this pastor comes up to preach that Sunday, and he goes on, and he starts sharing some stuff, right? And he just looks at the group of four of us. So it happened that my best friend was sitting next to me in between Rosie and me. And he was part of the group, okay? And we're sitting there on the front row, and this pastor goes up, and he just goes off his script a little bit and says, hey, wait a second, I'm noticing something a little here, okay? And he points out Rosie, and he points out my best friend. I mean, he missed it by one body, man. And he, he's like, <laughs> and he says, I think you two are meant to be together or something like that. And I'm sitting there, Jonathan, right where you are, like, what about me? You know, like, but sometimes, you know, of course, we, we let him go with it. We start laughing. He didn't know what was going on. He's like, I don't know what's happening. You know, I'm just saying, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, but um, it is one of those things that, that, that we just have to be careful that we don't end up getting rebuked as a liar when we, when we go off our emotions when it comes to the, to, to the prophecy and, and, and as it all stands. And you may be saying, why are you saying all this? But because prophecy tends to be an, an above and beyond scope of reality as it relates to our personal lives and the lives of other people. It's, it's sort of this bigger picture of a more complex and powerful outcome from God. Okay? The story of Christmas is the beginning of a new chapter in the bigger story of God's plan to rescue his people from their sin and selfishness, all right? However, the problem with the bigger picture is what? The problem with the bigger picture of any story is that it's hard for us to foresee it because we are so caught up in the now and what's in front of us. It's hard for us to understand and unfold the details of any given story, especially when we're dealing with the things that are right in front of us and taking place at our moment. It's hard to foresee the bigger picture of anything. The events associated with the, with the birth of Jesus, we see this entire fulfillment in the Old Testament of prophecies that were set forth beforehand. Even as it relates to the story of Jesus in general, we have writers in the New Testament that constantly go back and reference this idea that something has been written. Mark 1-2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Luke 1-4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Matthew 1.22, so that all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Different writers constantly referencing some bigger story, the bigger picture of something. And so hard for us to comprehend and see it in front of us as it unfolds because it is so big. I, I sometimes have a hard time understanding. I, I tell people, you know, it's like we're, I always use the float in the parade, right? That we're standing in the float, holding on to the fence 
and we're looking to see what's the next float that God is bringing. But God is way up there. He knows the first float, the last float, when they're all flowing together. We're just standing on the fence like, what do you think is next, you know? God can see it all. He's way above our heads when it comes to that stuff. He's got that 10,000-foot view. Now let's jump into the story and see this promise of this birth being foretold. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. It says, the Bible says, and I got it up on the screen. The Bible says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give you, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so that the baby, so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth have become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and he is now in, the, in her sixth month for the word of God will never fail. So Mary responds in verse 38 and says, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Wow. What an amazing story. I mean, when, when, when I read this, I'm reminded that there are times in our lives that in the middle of our service to God, we could be in the best position with our relationship with God. We could end up in a place where we tend to feel lonely where things just don't add up and feel a little bit out of place. And sometimes that feeling continues to the point where we feel so far away from God and everyone else around us. Imagine being a part of a community that was invaded by their enemies, that was constantly being oppressed, ruled by other countries, making their lives miserable. You grew up hearing about God's love for your people and how he was coming to step in one day and rescue you years ago. And years go by and you may wonder, where is God? Where there was a promise given and nothing would ever happen. In fact, the Bible references the Old Testament scripture and the New Testament as a 400-year period of silence. Could you imagine receiving a promise from God in 400 years going by? We would all be dead, but, you know, just imagine it. But to get to a point in our lives in how people felt leading up to the arrival of Jesus, where they were oppressed and mistreated and several corrupt rulers took charge and, and they waited for the Savior that had been promised and, and nothing would ever happen. And I know 400 years seems like a long time, but in our lives there are times where we end up waiting a lot where we end up relying on that promise that was once said for our family, for our children, for our lives personally. And we're in this waiting period that never seems to end. 
And one of the things that we do is we think that God has left our side and he's extremely far away from us. But I want to tell you this morning, don't mistake silence for distance, friends. Amen? Instead, the silence of God should cause us to pay a little bit more attention, to lean in a little bit more. If you change the letters around the word silent, what can you spell? Listen. Listen. Okay? So we sometimes can miss the bigger picture of God simply because we refuse to spend time in silent listening to God. To spend a little bit more time waiting. You guys like waiting? No. Instead, we want everything right away. We want everything now. And we see a God who has a perfect purpose for our lives that tends to delay a little bit. You're like, but I need the intervention now, God. My family needs it now. My finances need it now. The promise has been given, but why do I have to wait so much? And sometimes God's silence is also a message to be considered. With the people of Israel, if you notice, God wasn't just silent. One thing we could have hope in the fact is that when we see the story playing out and we see the Bible and how it's working out, although it might have seemed to the people of Israel that God was silent at the moment, he wasn't just waiting. No, God was actually working on a plan behind the scenes long ago. That would be bigger than anyone could have ever imagined. So essentially, our problem isn't that God is too quiet and very little involved in our lives. It's that we have a hard time seeing the bigger picture of God. Because I am, I am a firm believer that he is 100% working in your life for your benefit right now. In the middle of the dismay and, and the sadness and everything that may be going on, God is actively working on a plan that is a bigger picture that you may not comprehend. There is hope in that, friends. There is hope in that. You know, I, I, I see this and I think to myself, he wasn't just sending us a solution. He wasn't just sending a savior. He wasn't just coming up with something, a remedy for the people. No, God was working on a plan so he could come himself. So he could be physically involved himself. We tend to be so practical in our solutions. We would assume that it should have been a strong, powerful ruler, a warrior, a guy who could really carry the load. No, instead he humbled himself, becoming like a baby in a womb of a woman named Mary. You're like, mm, man, you know, that was kind of anticlimactic. But God is always present and working, and we don't always see it. Whenever we feel alone and out of touch with God, we have, we have, we have been the, the ones that put ourselves in that island because of our mistakes, because of how we want things to see them work out. And, and we kind of tell ourselves, ah, why isn't God involved in this? And why isn't God involved in that? And, and we believe in a lot of ways that there's no way God could be working for my life at this moment. You know, I've done too much wrong or I, I've been too bad or there's no way I'm so disqualified for this moment. And not only that, but while we wait, we make mistakes. 
And that mistake puts us further back in that place. And we tell ourselves again, oh, man, it's going to get worse tomorrow. I was just waiting today. Now I'm waiting with my mistakes, so now it's really bad. There's no way. God's going to delay the plan. It's just not going to look the same. Maybe he's not going to do it anymore, you know, because I'm just not worthy enough. Verse 29 and 30, it says that confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for I have found favor, for, for, for you have found favor with God. If you've ever felt insignificant and underqualified or overlooked, I have some good news for you. Those are usually the main characters of Scripture. Those are usually the people that God picks to do the work that he wants them to do. Most of the time, because most of the time our feelings have very little to do so, to the God we serve. For a moment, forget everything you know about the story that I'm talking to you today about. And imagine you found out that God was about to come to earth and you knew he would be born into a human family, what kind of parents do you think he would pick? You're not going to convince me today that you would have thought that he would pick a single girl that was a virgin, wasn't even married. No, you instantly would assume that he was going to pick a power couple. Wealthy people. And then he chooses people, the last people we would expect. It's one of those things that... You know, I, I love this idea because it's one of those things that in my life has taught me a lot is that I, I am thankful that God doesn't meet my expectations. And it's annoying when he doesn't. I'm going to be honest. I don't like it. But I am so thankful that my Savior finds a way to not meet my expectations. Because it is in those moments that he is able to exceed them. Right? If God always met your expectations, you would never have the opportunity to exceed them. I am so thankful that his plan is the 10,000 foot view, that he has the bigger picture in mind because I would pick the power couple. I would say that's the solution to the problem. I would be the one saying, God, let me help you. The solution is right in front of us. Instead, God said, man, you're not even close. And we're annoyed, disappointed, discouraged. Pray for me, pastor. It's rough out here. It's an incredible equation that makes no sense. How our insignificance and disqualifications have this amazing potential when put together with God. Not based on what others say about us, but instead all founded on a bigger plan that has been set forth by our, cre our creator. We have a God that the majority of the time plants his focus on nobodies, not just to brag about the fact that we're nobodies, but to turn them into somebodies. It doesn't matter who you are to anyone else, how you're perceived. One touch, one visit from God will change everything. It will, it will turn your life upside down. You're like, Moises, but I, I just can't. I'm not enough. I'm not good. I'm not this. I'm not that. Luke chapter 8, verse 43 to 46, it says, A woman in the crowd had suffered 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could not find a cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. And the disciples were like, man, there's so many people out here. 
anybody could have touched you. And he said, no, someone touched me. See, one touch from God turns a nobody into a somebody. Someone touched me. We would look at that and say, like the disciples, man, there's this whole crowd of people out here. What do you mean? And Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out of me. You know, it is, it is his M.O. to turn nobodies into somebodies. Amen? That's why we're all here today. You know, when God is looking for potential leaders, it's one, one of his key, or one of his key servants, he's not necessarily looking for perfect people. He's usually searching for people made of flesh and blood, just like you and me. Unlikely leaders. You look at Moses, he was a fugitive of Pharaoh's, of Pharaoh's justice. Yet he became the greatest lawgiver in history. Gideon, a coward. Yet he was able to conquer an invading army with just 300 men. You look at Peter, who was a fisherman, impulsive, doing things out of character constantly. Yet he was launched into becoming the leader of the Christian church. David, an insignificant shepherd boy, yet became the greatest king of Israel. You could go on and on and on. Now we have Mary was just a young and single girl living in a small town. She had no power and very little influence. She was ordinary, but God chose her to do something extraordinary. See that? Our God is the one putting on the extra. We're the ordinary. Yes, you are an ordinary individual. But thank God for that God that adds that extra to our lives and makes us be able to do things that we never comprehended possible. Verse 34 and 35 says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. God is adding his extra to her ordinary. You're just a simple girl, Mary. But with me, and the power of my spirit, you're going to be overshadowed. And you're going to experience something like never before. Man, that is something you and I could rely on. There is a spirit of the living God living among you. That if you profess Jesus as your savior, you have been linked with that power. Amen. And he is here and he is here to stay. Mary was chosen because she found favor with God. But what caused God to have this favor towards Mary? We know that she was humble and godly and she lived a life that pleased God to such extent that the Most High found favor on her life. Man, I, I, I pray, I, I say, God, please, please let my life like bring glory to you in one way or another. The way that I live it, how I wake up every day, it's a, it's a constant prayer of mine. This wasn't a gamble choice by God. No, instead, he, he, there were qualities of Mary that God was interested in. You know, in other words, there is something about you, your humbleness, the way you're faithful, your faithfulness, how you serve God, what your desires are to, to please others, to serve others, to, to be for someone else that will move God into your favor. But you have to determine what those things are. I love Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, where it says that Noah was different. God liked that 
and he liked what he saw and chose them. You see that? It doesn't say God made, no, he says Jonah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah, okay? There are unique things about you that God likes. And while we wait on God, there's always something we can be working on. Because waiting seasons are not wasted seasons in God. Listen, preparation, guys, prevents pressure. But procrastination produces it. We like to sit around and wait on heaven. It's just not the way it should be. There is something that we could actively be doing in order to move towards the direction of God. All right? It's not a punishment. It's a harvest, a result of the things you and I do. The truth is we work by either priorities or pressure. You pick one. Which one are you going to choose to work under? Preparation prevents pressure, but procrastination produces it. All right? You can sit and wait, but eventually it's going to bear on you. Have you ever stopped doing what you needed to do? To only walk into that thing, and it was way bigger than when you started it. It happens when we go on vacation. We need a vacation from the vacation, right? You put these things on hold. It's like you hit the pause button, and somehow the movie got longer. When you hit play. There's something we could do in order to make ourselves available for God to lean in and do something amazing in our lives. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Insignificant, ordinary, unqualified people matter to God. He chooses to partner with them to show the world that he cares for everyone. You're like, man, Moises, you know, you're up here. You're fired up. You're excited. You know, I, I, the first time I got the opportunity to share a sermon before people, okay, we had a crazy, we had this youth pastor, okay, and we were doing a 24-hour lock-in. You may not know what that is, but, you know, I'm turning 39 tomorrow, okay? It's, it's, it's there. I'm there, you know? I'm sharing references. People are like, ah, lock-in? What? what? Anyways, it was, like <laughs> it, was a, it was a lock-in, and, and he says, hey, we're going to do an exercise tonight. You know, and this thing started on Friday night at 6 p.m., and then it went till Saturday night at 6 p.m., and we were there, right? Um, you know, it was tough. We weren't eating anything. We weren't allowed to eat anything. Um, it was tough. We barely could brush our teeth in the morning, you know? So... <clears throat> He says to, to us, he says, I'm going to give each one of you a verse and you're going to put together a sermon, a five-minute sermon for us and preach it to us. It's part of the exercise, just kind of like a development exercise for everybody. So I'm like, oh, wow, I've never done this before. This is amazing. We don't have Google. All we have is our Bibles. Like, you know, you can't Google it real quick. You can't like, you know, we, we're just going to have to read the scripture, whatever it means to you, go for it, you know. And um, he gave me 1 Kings 18.44, all right? It's, the, it's the, the Mount Carmel thing. The 450 prophets were just defeated. They're praying for rain. You know, you may not know the story, but it, it's, he gives me this verse, and I have no clue what he's talking about, okay? He says, um, the verse said, Finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a hand, of a man's hand, rising from the sea, okay? 
And the verse goes on to say, you know, then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into the chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop, will stop you. And, and, you know, I'm reading this thing and I'm studying for it and I'm getting ready to deliver this message. And I'm like, this is the beginning of a great career, guys. It's about to start, you know, and I'm sitting there, you know, preparing myself, reading my little Bible and I'm ready to go. And I see that, you know, in the story, 450 prophets were defeated. Then this, this thing happens. And then after that, we see that Elijah gets afraid. And then I said, you know, guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm preaching the sermon. I say, guys, and there was this real mean guy named Jezebel. And this guy was ruthless, man. This guy, Jezebel, was crazy. He had Elijah so afraid. The enemy's going to do this, and they're going to, you know, giants are going to come in front of Jezebel. Man, this guy is insane. He was crazy, right? And so, so they, they let me go on. I feel, I feel like I preached the best message of my life. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, this is where it started. You know, I'm waiting for my contract. Let me know. Call me back whenever you're ready for me to come back. And then, and then my youth pastor pulls me aside and says, hey. Jezebel's a woman. <laughs> now I'm like, oh, okay. So <laughs> you would think my career was over. This guy's not going to make it. Probably people sitting there said, this is not for you, man. Keep your day job, right? <laughs> so it may not, you may feel, un you know how bad I felt when he told me that? I mean, my world crumbled. I put my Bible aside. I said, I, really, is this how I'm going to go down, you know? Insignificant, ordinary, unqualified people matter to God. There's a 10,000-foot view, a bigger plan, you know, that we can't seem to comprehend that when faced with the one things in our lives and the things that are in front of us, we, we tend to have these setbacks and say, ah, this is it. It would have been very easy for me to say, man, I made the biggest mistake of all. But our worth comes from God who sees us, loves us, and wants to partner with us. Amen? But the challenging part about the bigger picture from God is that it doesn't always look like we think. How do you tell your fiancé that you're pregnant with God's promised Savior? So, <laughs> Joseph... When it comes to newborn baby Jesus, you are not the father. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you get over that hurdle? You know, and, and we see Joseph's relationship was to back out of the relationship. In a nice way, he wanted nothing to do with it. But, but he didn't know how involved God wanted him to be in it. The situation, when you look at it, was way above Joseph's pay rate. God had some bigger plan that he wanted Joseph to be a part of, and it was hard for Joseph to comprehend, but Joseph, this one was above your pay rate. You know? Mm. Yeah. The Gospel of Matthew opens up with uh, chapter 1, giving this family tree of Jesus. And then, and then we, we see how Joseph felt about the news. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and to 20, it says, This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, 
was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break up the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Hmm. The angel said, do not be afraid to make Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He says, the angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, which is strange because Joseph wasn't the son of David. In fact, David had lived hundreds of years before Mary and Joseph had, okay? However, Joseph was still from a small town. I mean, David was still uh, from a small town, the same ordinary story. He was just a small uh, shepherd boy. And, you know, God promised that one day the descendants of, of David would create a new, better kingdom that would be best for the whole world. David and his descendants were flawed and made mistakes. And there was a collapse of the kingdom. The people knew that something better would come eventually. And they waited for this son of David to come. And for generations, people waited for this to arrive, but hearing these words trigger this thing within Joseph to understand this is bigger than me. He wasn't confused. Instantly, Joseph, son of David, men, buddy, this is way bigger than you. You may be having a hard time comprehending what I'm trying to do here, but simply take a little bit of time and just go back a little bit. Friends, the bigger picture is exactly that. God is doing something that may go above our heads once in a while. Something that may be bigger than our pay rate. Something that is above and beyond what we thought could happen. Joseph was too imperfect, like the descendants of David too, but the truth and flawless son of David was coming through Mary. And with that union came the linking of that tree that would make him be part of the descendant of David. Amen? Joseph wasn't the biological father, but with the marriage link, the lineage was created. And this began to happen as the prophecy foretold. We are a part that is, we, friends, we, we're part of something that is way bigger than ourselves. You need to start by comprehending that. You are part of something that is way bigger than yourself. I believe that the single, the single greatest cause of stress is that we take ourselves too seriously and we don't take God seriously enough. We think we're this big shot. The gift to humanity. Throughout history, God has been working with people to accomplish his will here on earth. Mary played a part on that. Joseph played a part on that. David played a part on that. And I believe with all my heart that God is calling you to play a part in it too. The story goes on and on. It, it's, it's our turn. I'm extremely thankful that although I might not be the completed version of who God wants me to be, I am way far removed from where I used to be. There's been an improvement in my life that has gone from here. I know Jezebel is not a boy, all right? Something's gotten better, okay? 
there are versions of yourself that God is forming in his will and purpose that you don't even know about. You say, Moises, not me, not this guy. Yes, I believe that. I believe that your insignificance is extremely valuable to God. I believe that all of us sitting here today may just be a prototype of the person that God is eventually working with on the end of it all, right? I love Revelations 2.17 because it says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone will be an engraved, a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Apparently, I'm not going to be Moises anymore. Or maybe I will be. The point is that there's a new person that God is building within you, that God is developing you into the person that he's called you to be for a purpose or a reason. You may not be able to build confidence in who you are today, but in the hand of God, you can have hope that he overrides your facts today and he will turn you into someone he's called you to be. There are over 7,000 promises in scripture, promises of success, confidence, health, prosperity, strength, wisdom, and more. Why does God have these promises laid out? Because he wants you to learn to trust him. To understand that he's got your life in his hands. That his process is full and true and perfect. And what he wants from you is even greater than what you want from yourself. We should place our confidence in that. You know, it's different because when you know that someone believes in you, it brings the best out of you. When you have someone backing you up, when my dad would say, you got this, buddy. I, I signed up for French as an elective because my dad told me in a counselor's office, you can do this. <laughs> and I failed that class that year. He said, well, will you learn Spanish? Just take French, learn something new. You already know Spanish. You know English, Spanish, a third language, French, you could do it. And I'm like, you know what, dad? Yes, I can. I signed it. And then I failed. But... Yeah, I tried it. When someone believes in you, it brings the best out of you. Amen? You know, Peter, the name Petros, okay? It literally means pebble. And God looked at a pebble and said, you're going to be my rock. And on that rock, I'm going to build my church. Okay? So pebble, you will be my rock. And upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. If you're Peter, you're sitting there like, what? Not me, God. I'm just a pebble. I can't be a rock. No, Peter. Pebble, you're going to be my rock. And on you, I'm going to build my church. You see that, how this works? All of our lives seem meaningless compared to the big picture of what God has in store for all of us, all right? Jesus didn't tell him who he was. He told him who he could be and gave him confidence to live up to the potential. And on that rock, the church was built.
And we all benefit from that today. Amen? Joseph says, this is crazy, God. But in Matthew chapter 124, in chapter 1, verse 24, he says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And I can't get ahead of the story because we still got a few more days. But when we trust and obey God, because he understands the bigger picture, right? Those 7,000 promises are reminders to us that we should trust our God. You may feel like a pebble today, but God is turning you into a rock. That is something we can have hope in and we will have hope in. So although it may look really crazy today and feel very overwhelming, understand that there is a God at work who's not just going to send you a solution. He's going to show up himself and do it. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God. God, what a reminder to see Mary and Joseph go through this experience as insignificant as they were at the time, Lord, and for you to use them to bring about the birth of our Savior. It's a humbling Amazing story, God. The way you humbled yourself and not just sent a solution, but came yourself in the flesh to be part of that bigger plan, that bigger picture, God. I pray, God, that you would continue to do the mighty work that you began to do in our lives, God. I know that this room is full of potential, God, that you see us through your lens, not through our thoughts and the things that we've done, and the mistakes and whatever it may be, God, no, you see us through a different type of lens. God, I, I would just pray that we would believe in that, that we would believe that there is a God that is almighty, all-powerful, operating on our behalf to accomplish more than we could ever comprehend, Lord. Let that be the joy and let that be the push we need as your servants to answer the call, God. Thank you so much for the reminder that there is a bigger picture at play here. We may not comprehend it, but it's going to be amazing, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're going to accomplish. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.